We are going to look this morning at a, what I'm going to guess is a somewhat familiar passage to you. Um, I should give you fair warning um, that I'm going to scoot out right after, as long as the preacher's not long-winded, the preacher may make, um, may make his afternoon plane and be home in time for dinner, which is what we're shooting for. So I'm going to attempt to not be too long, but be sufficient to be helpful. Um, this passage from Luke chapter 15 is probably somewhat familiar. Let me give you a re- little bit of a reason why um, we're going to look at it this morning and also um, why it's an incredibly simple sermon that just answers uh, two questions. Where does judgment come from and why is it dangerous? And let me tell you why these two questions uh, are important. If we were to survey the people in a five-mile radius around where we're sitting right now, what they would say more than likely about Christians, if this is like any other place in the country, and of course this isn't like any other place in the country, people would be much more prevalent to say what I'm going to say next here than they wouldn't say Montgomery, Alabama, where we're, at, we're hearing about this question. Okay? So when non-believers are asked, um, why are you not interested in religion? The first thing that comes to their lips, and if they're Americans, is Christians are so judgmental. And we just have to be honest that they're right. They have read it correctly. They have heard correctly. They have not heard the correct gospel, but they have gotten the correct impression because by and large, Christians tend to be, well, we tend to be a pretty judgmental lot. This is why it's so important that we understand where judgment comes from and why it's dangerous. And to try and understand that, we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, in Luke 15 um, this morning. So I'm going to read, and I'm going to read just uh, to keep me from having to make all of the things that I'd like to say, which would be impossible in a brief sermon um, I'm going to read with a fair amount of effect um, as I read. I like to do that anyways, but I'm going to do that in an enhanced way this morning, okay? So you will get some of the import of what I think is important for you to get just by the way I read, all right? Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 1. we we'll are do verses 1 and 2 and then skip down to verse 11. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now get on to verse 11. And he, meaning Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, 
but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Well... Most of them. Now his older son, remember the man had two sons. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the cat fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray a passage that um, could be super familiar to, to me as a preacher, to us as hearers, that Holy Spirit, you would you'd peel back layers for us that we've never seen before, and that we, we could sense um, your pleasure, Father in all kinds of sinners coming home like us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So where does judgment come from and why is it dangerous? Let's walk through here. 
you got a lot of it just in the way that I read it, but um, make sure we got the scene right and the characters and all that. So um, this, uh, Luke 15, it's marvelous to listen to it all together. Um, there's actually a, verse 10 is quite marvelous. I'm just beginning to use this more and our practices flourish. There's lots of things that churches rejoice in, but verse 10 tells you there's, there's just one time when there's joy before the angels of God. The only time this is used in the scriptures, when a sinner repents. And this is the very problem, of course, that people were having with Jesus, is that sinners were repenting. He was giving space to people who were messy and dirty, and they didn't have their lives right, and they'd lived terrible ways. The people around Jesus, the religious people around Jesus, thought that Jesus ought to be judging these people like, well, they were. And he was on their case. They were on Jesus' case about it. That's where this starts. Now, the task ledgers and sinners, they're all drawing near to him. And this is a good hint for you. Um, as I talk to, I have the privilege to talk to lots of people about your church as they think about coming in, being candidates as your pastor. And one of the things that I frequently say is that your church actually lives up to its name that this church is known for being gracious and receiving people in and being able to be absorbent. And I'm passionate that that culture would persist. So take this as a goad for that culture to persist. What's the problem that the religious people had with Jesus? Tax collectors and sinners. They're all around him. This man receives sinners and eats with them. And Jesus is trying to disabuse him of the notion that this is a bad thing. He's trying to say this is a good thing. They were thinking it was a bad thing. And so Jesus tells these three parables, sheep, coin, sons. Mislabeled the parable of the prodigal son. Because it was a man that had two sons, right? Sheep, you go and find the lost one. Uh, has to, to get a sheep home. You basically had to tie its legs together and throw it over your shoulder just to keep running away. Many times God has to do that. Just throw us down, tie us up in order for us to get the message to come home. Lost coin, people are so valuable. This is why the, there's rejoicing for the angels of God over one sinner who repents because the people are so valuable made in God's image that we ought to desperately go out and try and seek, find the lost, right? Like a lost coin. And then the zinger here, the man who's got Two sons. So um, these sons actually had the same problem. That may seem really odd to you. These sons had the exact same problem. They both wanted the dad's stuff, but they didn't want the dad. So you should be really careful. They pursued the same problem. They, they pursued it in very, very different ways. One by being very, very bad, one by being very, very good. But neither of them are interested in the dad. That's why the son, the younger son, right? The younger son says, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. Let me see what this, this is tantamount to. This is tantamount to saying, Dad, man, could you just be dead so I could have my share of your stuff? That's what this is essentially saying. Could you just knock off? Because I don't really want you, but I love your stuff. And, and you, 
the second half, or, uh, sorry, the, the second sentence of verse 12 is stunning. Stunning. And he divided his property between them, which would have been to break up, well, here, you're in farmland, break up the family farm, sell off a third of it, give him the cash. Have funds to him in the castle. Just gives him the cash. Let's him walk away. Heartbroken. Let's him walk away. Stunning. And so the younger son goes off and has a good time, gets down to the bottom of the barrel. That's where you find the pigs feeding. It's got nothing. He Verse 17, he comes to himself, which is, uh, I think, a, a good, um, that, that's a neat definition of repentance. Right? You, you sort of come back and you go, what did it, Matt, Matt talking about, what an idiot. Why did you ever think you could find life there? Right? That's the essence of repentance. Like believing the gospel is repenting of sin and trusting in Christ. Right? Repenting is going, oh, why? Why did I take control of my life and try and find life there? It's emptiness. And he comes to himself. And he considers, and, and this is very interesting, uh, when you've taught this a bunch, this is my second or third times teaching through this sermon in, in a period of four weeks. Um, you get the opportunity when you've taught it a bunch to ponder more things, and there was some consideration on the part of the younger son about what his father was like. He had some sense, some experience. Maybe it was that when he asked for a third of the stuff, the father just did it and didn't beat him up and kick him out of town. But he had some sense of the father and what the father was like. Notice that's what he ponders. Not like, here's what the workers on this farm, this is what they have to eat. He goes back to home. How many of my father's hired servants? It's very interesting. They have more than enough bread. Here I am starving. And so he puts together a restitution plan. I'm going to get up, I'm going to get my life together, I'm going to go to my father, I'm going to say to him, you know, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm not asking to be son, I already gave that up. I'll just take, you know, can you apprentice me to one of your craftsmen? Jamie's a hired servant, which would have been the equivalent of like apprenticing to a craftsman. So he concocts his plan together, gets it all together, he actually executes on it, he gets up, comes to his father, and then scene shifts, right? You've been seeing the story from the perspective of the younger son. The scene shifts, right? <coughs> and now if you were, you've got the lens, and now you're behind the eyes of the father. And the father, I have um, two pairs of field glasses, one that was wonderfully given to me by my wife. I love birds, live on the lake, lots of birds to watch. The other uh, was one of the few possessions I took of my dad's after he passed away. So I have some very precious field glasses, gifts from folks. And so um, very familiar with how field glasses work. 
And you have to imagine that although this was before field glasses were invented, that there's the father every day on the porch looking down the road with the field glasses, looking, waiting, watching, hoping, wishing, dreaming. Will today be the day that my son comes home? Because that's the only way that he would see him while he was still a long way off. And when he sees him a long way off, he gets the whole town together, they get sticks and they beat him out of town. Because that's what he deserved. Because that's what we do with people who are very great sinners, right? We punish them and we put them away and get them away because that's the way we treat sinners. Nope. His father saw him and felt compassion. I would submit to you that the inverse of judgment is compassion. When you see somebody who doesn't know the Lord and they're, they've, they've tried to solve, they've, they've done what I do, Right? They take control of their life. They try and find life in something that's not God. When you see them and they're experiencing the pain of trying to live life without God, is your first move, your first heart move, compassion. I, I suspect that our rep in the culture would be very different if it was. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran, which is just not what you do. You're a dignified Middle Eastern patriarch. You've got robes. You need to maintain your stature and your status in society, and we grandly move from place to place. We don't lift up our robes like we're kids and run. This one does, though. Ran it grabbed him and slobbered him. And the son pulls out his... Uh, oh, yeah, aha. Yeah, here it is. Ah. Prepared speech. Hold on. No more slobber, Dad. I got a speech here. I, I, got, a, I got a plan. The son starts the speech. Father, I have sinned against seven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father. You have to notice something about the speech here. He doesn't get through it. Father cuts him off. Father wasn't, wasn't having it. He wasn't going to He wasn't going to make him work back in to the family. The father just receives him back. Which is why he says to the servants, bring the robe, cover him up. He smells like pigs. Put it on him. Give him a ring. This would have been the family ring. 
This, this is the symbol. Like this would have been a signet ring. Like, you know, you could push into wax. Back in the family. Give him shoes. Now, verse 23 is interesting. Bring the fattened calf. We're just kind of like, we eat beef all the time. Most of us. What's the big deal here? This is kind of strange. What, what are you talking about? Well, this was, um, meat was hard to come by. It was very expensive. It was very rarely eaten. This would have been the, the biggest feast anybody had ever seen. The father throws a party for the entire village. Party! My son's back. He was dead. He's alive. He was lo- I have an uncle um, who was born drunk. My mother-in-law, my mother-in-law is glorious. I have the world's best mother-in-law. My grandmother uh, was a violent drunk. Um, and um, she, was, she was intoxicated when my uncle was born and he was literally born drunk. And so he suffered all of those consequences of fetal alcohol syndrome and all that kind of stuff, whatever. And has had a very, very difficult life as a result. Messes with your hormones in your brain and all kinds of stuff. He's been in and out of addiction and it's been super difficult. For an 18 year period, we did not know if he was dead or alive. Um, I can remember the day my dad called me to say that, that he'd been found. That he wasn't dead, but he was alive. So I have a little tiny, tiny sense of what this feels like. We were in disbelief. My son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. He's found. And they began to celebrate, or at least most of them did. And you switch scenes to Act 2 here, and you read a little bit about the older son. Which is where we learn more overtly where judgment comes from. So, the older son's in the field, comes near, hears the music and dancing, and he's like, hey, what's going on? And um, servant delivers the news, and the older son's he's, uh, angry. And he won't go in. So his father comes out because he won't go in. Fascinating. Father comes out to both. This gives you the hint that this is two, two, two people with the same problem. Same father approaches them. Father comes out to both of them. Right? But the, the core... They have a similar problem. They're not interested in the father. They're interested in his stuff. And and you understand that this is the problem that the older son has. Um, Hey, (laughs) yeah, I wish it was hey. Look. His father came out and entreated him. It's a very delightful word. So where does Judge come from? These many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. Judgment comes from the sense that um, I've, I'm doing this right. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the person who's obeying. I, I'm the one who's doing things right here. 
and you're not. And so I'm going to tell you. You're the one who's, I, I got this, I, I got this. You don't, so I'm going to tell you. And that's the heart of critique and judgment. I got this. You don't. Let me tell you what this should look like. So notice how judgmental the son is. He thinks he's got, got it all dialed in. These many years I've served you, never disobeyed your commands. So actually, you don't owe him, you owe me. You owe me. But despite the fact that you don't owe me, you never even gave me a young, boat, a young goat that I could celebrate with this friend. But when this son of yours, fascinating. Notice the disowning there. Not my brother. That's what a good elder brother would have been like. That's what Jesus is like for us. A good elder brother would have gone out. Let me go look for him, Dad. I'll go look for him for you. But when this son of yours, and then, of course, he's got the, this interesting, the younger son came with a list of things that he was going to do to make up. The father's like, Psh. older son, he's got a list too. He's been keeping a list. Here's all the nasty things that he's done. Now, I haven't done those. Divide your property of prostitutes. You kill the fat and calf for him? And it's interesting, the, son, the attitude of the father is fascinating. It's very gentle. The, the, the older son, his address of the father is look. And the father's address to his older son is son. It's fascinating. It's good, I think, for us because m maybe you, you know, as you put yourself in the story and maybe even in different days, different phases of life, right? Maybe you've had phases or days that are more younger sonish and days that are more older sonish. It's fascinating and wonderful that what Jesus tells us here in telling the story is that the heart of the Father is to come to us and entreat us and to invite us back into home and away from that which we thought could give us life but never could. Because doing really lots of really bad things will never give you life and doing lots of really good things won't give you life either. Because life isn't in those things, life is in God. To knowing him, it's being interested in the Father. Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And that was actually pretty literal. Because he'd already divided the property between them. You got that at the beginning of the story. He'd already divided the property. So here's the older son. Come on, Dad. Can you die, please? He's the same as the, he's the, same as the younger son. He's interested in the father's stuff. He just thought he could get it by being really, really good. But they both wish the father dead. It's odd that that's the heart of sin. That we're interested in the father's stuff, we're interested in created good where we try and find life, but instead it's, a, it's empty. And so we come to our senses in repentance, and we turn and believe, and
What do we, what do we believe in? Well, we believe in the speaker of this parable. This ends in a cliffhanger. We don't get the end of the story. Well, actually, we do. I lied, it's just not here. It's a, the end of this story about the interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. You know where this ends, right? We sang about it earlier where it ends. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? That's where this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees ends. It ends at the cross. Because they couldn't bear that he was like this. And Jesus came for people like us. Whether we're like the younger son and we try and you know, find life by doing really bad things. Or we're like the older son and we try and find life by, by trying to do everything right. Jesus has to die for both. Because neither place is a place of life. Uh, the older son, think about him just for a second application and we'll close up. The older son is very obviously judgmental. Where does, it, where does judgment come from? Um, judgment comes from pride and thinking that I have it right and you have it wrong and so I need to tell you. Uh, that's where judgment comes from. And you see it in the, the heart of the older son. Why is it dangerous? Well, judgment's dangerous because it alienates everybody around you. At least that's what my wife says kindly to me when I'm judgmental of her or the kids. That it alienates everybody around me. It, it hurts everybody. It pushes people away instead of drawing people towards you. And I think what we want for ourselves as individuals, what you want for a church named Grace, is that tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Judgment is dangerous because it keeps that from happening. And that's the essence of what we've been left here for. To be a Christian is to be a little Christ. It's to be people who, where we live, work, and play, tax collectors and sinners draw near to us. They did to Jesus. He didn't... Um, he told people about sin. He told people to repent. He told them about judgment that was coming. And he held himself out as life. And so this doesn't mean we have to not call sin, sin. It's just that we have to call our sinners, ourselves sinners first. And that gives people freedom and space to call themselves sinners as well. Judgment's dangerous because it pushes people away, away from Jesus instead of nearer to him. And our calling is to help people meet Jesus. That's why judgment's so dangerous and why it's so much better, so much more wonderful and so much more enjoyable. I, I don't think the older son enjoyed anything. I don't think he had joy. The, the translation here is, um, look, these many years I have slaved for you. And if that's what the Christian life feels like for you, it's very hard, it's not 
it's not working for you. Because then when you hear those calls to joy, to rejoice, that could be contagious to people, it doesn't resonate for you, like something doesn't match up. And that's a hint that you need to go deeper in understanding the heart of the Father and the wonder of grace, and here it is on display for you. So ask God to show you that. Ask Him to show you how wonderful His love is, how great His grace is, and that He receives us, and that He comes looking for us when we, uh, when we stray, which is marvelous. One of the gifts of being older is that you know yourself better. And one of the ways that you know yourself better is you know yourself to be a way worse sinner than you thought you were. And one of the really good things about that is that if grace is really greater than my sin, grace is pretty great. Let's pray. Father, you put your heart on display here in the form of a story on your son's lips. Help us to believe that it's true even as we come to the table here in just a minute. Jesus, you came not like this older brother, but we're told that you are our elder brother, the true one, who came and seek to seek and save the lost. We need you. You bore the cost. There's always cost to forgiveness to receiving us in the family. You were willing to bear that cost. Thank you. Holy Spirit, when we come and do a section of the scriptures that seems familiar, we can sort of skip over it and let our minds go to other things and not be gripped by it. And I pray that wouldn't be the case. For my friends here that know this passage, that they would be gripped anew by what's here. Help us to receive it as a gift, to enjoy it, to rest, to be grateful, to be gracious and compassionate to those around us who need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.